we thank you for it. We bless you. And Lord, we bind anything that would try to hinder or steal the seed. Command to go. And let your holy angels, Lord, be guardians over your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I am going to end up talking about angels in this, but to get there, I'm going to cover a few other things. It is Communion Hebrew Roots, Part 7. Um, I'm going to deal with Purim. I'm going to deal with the God of breakthrough. How many knows God is a God of breakthrough and miracles? He can turn impossible situations around. And this would be a very good complimentary sermon for one I did years ago called uh, Recovering All. So I'll probably put those together on the website. But anyway, God is wanting us to learn how to trust him to turn impossible situations around. I really want to bring that home. Because some people have looked at things in life and thought there's no way. But that's exactly when God can give major miracles. Okay, so let's think about it for a minute. Here we are at Purim. And the book of Purim, to me, speaks this. First, Esther was somebody that really consecrated herself. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically. But she was being washed. She was being bathed. She was given really clean clothes. She was kind of soaking in that oil. And she was a, being a bride made ready for her time with the king. And I believe it's symbolic of, of the Lord preparing a bride for the coming of Jesus. Okay, That's one great revelation there. But another one is this, that Purim is where things seemed impossible and they were serious. Um, God's people were, were very much in threat of annihilation. It would have been a genocide. And Esther, when she went in to the king, the king extended his scepter and she was able to be used of God to help turn that whole thing around. And what would have been a genocide of God's people ended up turning into a celebration that is still celebrated to this day and is in the Bible that we see how God miraculously, miraculously turned that whole situation around. And he can do that. And also you see the similar thing with um, Hanukkah whenever uh, the Maccabees were able to push back that Syrian army with a little ragtag priestly military they had. There was no way that should have happened. But God gave them a supernatural victory, okay? So tonight I'm going to ask you guys to really tune in and give me your best ear because I believe that what I'm going to share tonight, if people grab hold of it, this is one of those sermons that could actually alter a lot of things in your life in a very powerful way, okay? So, all right, here we go. So just like in Purim, some people may be feeling that you have some desperate situations. Maybe you have felt that there's high-level spiritual warfare to some degree. You've needed a major breakthrough. But if you notice how Esther responded, there was humility, there was prayer and fasting, and there was approaching the king in his courtroom, so to speak. That would have been, the king on his throne would have been like his courtroom because that's where decisions were made. So Esther went into the courtroom, so to speak, okay, if I could say it that way. And so the first thing I want to talk about tonight is God is sovereign, God is just, and for us to get major high-level victories, please hear what I'm about to say. You have to start first in the third heaven, which is God's throne, God's courtroom. Then you have to deal with the second heaven, which is where princes and powers dwell. Then you deal with the ground-level warfare. You better do it in that order. 
Because if you try to do it in another order, it's not going to work out for you usually. If you'll do it in this order. So the first thing we need to do, and how many of you guys can, you know from life that maybe you're dealing with a situation and somebody that you're talking to, um, they're just not getting it. So what do you do? I need to speak to a manager. <laughs> you go over their head, right? Well, we're going to go over everybody's head when we go to God's courtroom, to his throne, okay? This is where the ultimate decisions are made. And once God has ruled in your favor, nothing can stop God. It's set in motion. All right, so here we are. The first level that we need to deal with is in the third heaven. This is God's courtroom, and I'm going to show you how this works. We know God as a father, and we know God as being a a God that we worship, okay? But at the same time, a lot of people have never thought of God being a fair, just judge, but he is. He's the ultimate judge. Now, here's satanic attack right here. Revelation 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. Look at this. He who accuses them before God day and night. So this is Satan's highest attack. If Satan comes as a tempter, but as Christians, we should be able to overcome temptation and learn how to overcome temptation. Okay, that's not really a super high-level attack when the devil comes in just waving something in front of you. We should learn how to rebuke that pretty quickly and overcome those things. A baby Christian still struggle, but we should get beyond it. Secondly, Satan will come as a great deceiver. Now, deception can be really serious, though, because the people that are deceived think that they're right, and they think that you're deceived. So deception is very deceiving. <laughs> so, yeah, Satan's good at that. Now, the third attack, though, this is really the highest level of spiritual warfare, is when Satan comes as the accuser of the brethren. First off, Satan will accuse you to yourself. He'll try to bring up your past. He'll try to make you feel like a worthless person. Um, So you've got to learn that that is not the voice of God, that's the voice of the devil, and to rebuke it. Okay, it's very important. Because Satan comes as the accuser against you, to try to make you feel like such a piece of garbage that you'll never believe God for anything. Secondly, God will try to accuse, or Satan will try to accuse God in your mind against God. He'll start putting thoughts in your head about how God doesn't care about you, how God doesn't love you, and how God isn't going to answer your prayers and all this stuff. He's a liar, and that is the accuser accusing God to your mind. And you better discern that and rebuke that and not put up with it. Another way Satan comes as the accuser is he tries to accuse us to each other. He tries to put negative thoughts in your mind toward me and me toward you, back and forth. And his goal there is to divide. But this level of warfare is very serious, and this is where Satan goes before God to accuse God's people. And what everybody has to understand is this is Satan understands legal ground, and he understands that if God's people are living in unrepentant sin, and they're not going to repent, and they're not doing right, Satan knows that he can go before the throne of God, and God's going to, he's just, he's going to have to allow the devil to attack, okay? But God is always wanting to side with us, and and if we are truly um, repentant of our sin, then God's going to side with the blood of Jesus every time. Amen. I'm talking about where people don't repent and people aren't doing right. 
So if your life is not lined up, Satan will try to accuse you and try to open up some spiritual attack. All right. Revelation 13, 7. It says that it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe, people, and tongue, and nation were given to him. Now, this is in the last days, and this is like the tribulation time. But it says in Daniel 7.22, look at this. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment, or passed judgment, in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So you're getting a glimpse here of how Satan is trying to attack God's people He's trying to wear out the saints, and he's trying to even prematurely here oppress God's people and come against God's people. But there can come a point in time, and I'm trying to teach on this. I've taught on this many times before, but I'm teaching on this because I believe that there's great breakthroughs for River of Life coming for people that will lay hold of some of these things, and that is that we can go before the ultimate judge, and as we come before him humbly, and we're repenting of our sin, and we're doing right before him, we can ask him to render judgment on our behalf against our adversary, the accuser, and God will do it. The Ancient of Days will pass judgment on your behalf, and there will be major breakthroughs come. But you can see this all through Scripture. This isn't anything that's isolated. In Job chapter 1, starting with verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God, these are fallen angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came with them, and the Lord said to Satan, What are you doing? And Satan answered, I'm roaming the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Then Satan, here's Satan the accuser, right here in verse 9. Um, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has on every side? And bless the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. This is Satan accusing Job to God. And so God allowed the devil to attack Job, but we know the story. It ultimately ended up in Job's favor, and God blessed him with double on the other side of it. In Matthew five twenty five, Jesus taught us, make friends quickly with your opponents, with your adversary at law, while you're with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you paid the last cent. So Jesus gives us this scripture, and he says, you better... Resolve matters with your adversary along the way before you get end up in the courtroom because if things are not right in your life and Satan's able to accuse you in the courtroom, God has to be just and fair and allow some spiritual attack to come. But if you'll settle matters quickly along the way and you'll make sure things are right between you and God, God's always going to side with the righteous. Amen? I can tell some people have maybe never heard this before. It's awful quiet here. And then Luke 18, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God nor respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming before him, saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but after 
Afterward, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and don't respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring justice for his elect to cry out to him night and day, and he will not delay in doing so. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. We've got to get to a place where we have faith in God, where we believe God even though we don't see things right off. We stand in faith and we persist in faith like Abraham. So here's a couple more scriptures. In Proverbs 6.31, it says, When a thief is found out, and how many knows the devil's a thief? He must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. In Isaiah 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and loose the loins of kings to open doors before him so gates will not be shut. I will go before you, and I will make the rough places smooth, and I will shatter the doors of bronze, and cut through iron bars. I will give you treasures of darkness and hidden wealth in secret places. You know what treasures of darkness are? Things that the devil has stolen from you. They're locked up in treasures of darkness. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. See, when Satan comes, a lot of people out there, and I'm, I'm saying this with the right spirit, but it's just the truth. There's a lot of people out there that because they're never really winning anybody to Jesus, they're not really prayer warriors, they're not really doing anything significant for God, you know, um, they're not walking in a mighty anointing, they're, they're, just, they're just there. Um, Satan isn't really going to attack them too much because they're not a threat. But if you get an anointing on your life and you begin to go after God for a move of his spirit, you begin to to win souls. You begin to be used of God in a powerful way. You're starting to pray for the sick and they're being healed. You're beginning to see people deliver to things. You better believe that Satan will begin to attack. And when Satan comes to attack, let's get real. He's talking about steal, kill, and destroy. He's not talking about some petty little stupid thing. Satan wants to come in and steal. He wants to steal your children. He wants to make you lose your job. He wants to steal significant things. When I talk about kill, I'm not talking about, you know, like some little thing over here to the side. He wants God's people physically dead before their time. He wants somebody to die of cancer before they're able to fulfill their destiny. He wants to cause a car wreck. He wants to kill people dead. And when I talk about destroy, I'm not talking about some flippant thing. He wants to destroy people's families. He wants to destroy their life. And the reason why Satan wants to do these things is because he wants to stop them from being able to fulfill their destiny in God. Because he knows that their destiny in God could be something very powerful where they see a great harvest of souls and significant things for the kingdom. And so one of the ways that he will attack is by being the accuser of the brethren. He'll try to stir up stuff against you, controversy around you, put negative thoughts in people's minds against you. And he's trying to make friends into enemies. He's trying to stir up problems. And then also on top of that, he wants to go to God and he wants to be able to accuse you of stuff in your life that's not right. 
And if those things are not right, and he's, and he's telling the truth to God about it, and it's not right, you better settle matters with your adversary along the way before he gets you up there and lets God say, okay, you're right, he is living in unrepentant sin. I have to allow you to attack him. You better deal with it before it gets to that point. Amen. So, Luke eighteen twenty nine, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has lost house, wife, brothers, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much in this life and in the age to come eternal life. God is just. If people are losing things for the sake of the kingdom, he promises you're going to get it back many times over in this life. So what I'm trying to say is if people will make sure things are right with God in their life, they can go before the courtroom and have this whole thing turned around in their favor. God wants to restore to people's lives what the devil has stolen. He is a just God and he sees how Satan has come come in against God's people to steal, kill, and destroy. And it angers him. And if we can approach him properly, he wants to render judgment on our behalves and give us a turnaround, a jubilee, where the things that the devil has damaged in our lives, even things like a reputation, if he's damaged your physical body, he's damaged relationships in your life, whatever it is, God wants to turn that thing around where it's repaired seven times better. And things that have been stolen in life, God wants to restore it back sevenfold. Things that the devil has put in people's lives, like sickness or whatever else. Maybe sown strife into a marriage. Maybe sown some rebellion into a kid. Whatever it is, God wants to turn things around where what the devil has sown in, he will pull it back out. And everything that's been out of order will come back into alignment, the proper order before God, the way it's supposed to be. God is a fair judge. He is righteous and he is just. And if we approach him properly and we go over the devil's head, you go over everything else. When you go to God, you're going to the supreme ultimate authority. I mean, it's like in our land going to the supreme court. When they make a decision, it's a final decision about matters. When you go to God, you're going to the highest court in the universe. It's the end of the matter. If God rules on your behalf, the devil's just going to have to live with it. And that's the end of it. And you know what? God will do that if we approach him right. Amen? So, the way that we approach God is number one, we need to approach him in great humility. Number two, we need to repent of anything in our lives that's not right. And that's repentance is not, I'm sorry, but you're going to do it tomorrow. That's not repentance. Number two, we need to stand on God's promises. You need to stand on the promises of God. And what I mean by that is this. The Bible says if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to stand on that. Because the accuser will try to put in people's minds how horrible you are. But God has forgiven us. If we've confessed our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to stand on that. And so here's how this works. If we've confessed our sins and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we have forgiven other people, and that's a big one. You need to make sure you forgive others. And we've really got things right in our lives. We can go before the courtroom of God in humility and say, Father, I'm bringing these things to you because the devil has, he's stolen this, he's damaged this, he's done this. And I have 
confessed my sins, I've repented of my sins, I forgive others, and I feel like that I've been washed in the blood and I'm right, and I'm asking you that you would give me justice against my adversary. And that what he has damaged based on your word, he mu- it must be restored back sevenfold. What he's damaged has to be repaired seven times over. And anything he's put in my life and family's got to be taken out. The reason why these things are set up against God's people is Satan is trying to steal their destiny in God. I can't say that enough. People get sin in their life. They get prideful and rebellious. They get bitter. They, they rebel in their family, their home's out of order. Things are not right. And they get like that, and the accuser goes up, and he accuses them. And he's, of course, right. And so God has to allow. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes and sets up a stronghold in their life, and there's oppression And what the devil's trying to do is stop their destiny in God. That they will not be able to fulfill what God's called them to do. And once you've truly repented and got right with God, and you've dealt with all that stuff, now, after that, you can go before his courtroom and have the whole thing turned around. Is this making sense tonight? Because the devil doesn't just walk away from something. You've got to go over his head to the ultimate courtroom and let God do it because God will thump him right out of the way pink right out of your life all right and I encourage people as well this is why we have the deliverance questionnaire some people have had the wisdom to to go through that and really get their life you know cleansed that's the reason why we have that because we need to pray about the sins of our ancestors. This does not have to do with your personal salvation. You can go to heaven and never pray about the sins of your ancestors. But I promise you this. It will affect the quality of your life in an unbelievable way. If you don't. And many Christians are languishing away under a mighty oppression that they don't have to have. So as you begin to pray about the sins of your ancestors and confess these things... God will begin to kind of purge out of your life the stuff that's come down the bloodline against you. And I also would say to people that in regards to your city and your nation, people that are intercessors, you need to vicariously repent of the sin of your region. And God, that will help to purge things for God to come and move a great power in that city. All right, so we've dealt with God's courtroom. That's where you start. Make sure that you've got your sins confessed. I would recommend confessing the sins of your ancestors so there's nothing there like something generational that's affecting you, okay? You forgive other people. You ask God's forgiveness if you've been judging or prideful over others. You get everything dealt with in your life so that when you go before him, there's nothing the accuser is going to be able to bring up. It's all under the blood. Okay, Jesus said, agree with your adversary along the way before you get in the courtroom. So you've dealt with that. You've got it under the blood. You're ready. Now you go before him, and you need to make a list. This is what I gave a a week ago or something. But you need to make a list of things that you feel that the devil has stolen from you. And let me tell you something. God can give you back the years the locusts have eaten. You better hear me. He can turn back your aging. He physically can make people's aging reverse back. Did you know that? He can't. People that's been told that you you cannot get pregnant, that's bogus. You go before the courtroom, yes, you can. Anything that you feel like Satan has stolen from you in life, God can make a way for it to happen. 
All right, the second thing is, once you deal with the third heaven, the courtroom, now you go to the second heaven. This is where principalities and powers dwell. You know, Satan has put these principalities over cities, but there's also, God's got angels stationed as well in cities. Did you know that if a city, and I don't think we're going to see this really until Jesus comes, except in great major revivals, but if a city would really humble themselves before God and confess their sins and repent, that principality over that city would get so bound up he couldn't do one thing. The heavens would open, God's presence would begin to invade that city. The angels that have been standing around wanting to do stuff will start being activated to do things. But it's because of the sins of regions is why principalities and powers are able to do what they do. So this is how it works. The word principality in the Greek is the word arche. I gave you the Strong's reference, and it, it's where we get the word architect. Principalities are basically fallen angels, and these are intelligent, powerful beings, and they rule over uh, different regions, like over a nation, um, over different cities. And there can even be kind of like little principalities over maybe like a, a university or college campus or something like that. But these are like spirits that have a th- enthroned over an area. And they are able, um, because of the sin of the region, Satan has been able to place them there. But they're the ones that's like an architect. They'll, they'll blueprint, they'll strategize attacks against God's people. And then the powers are the ones that carry out the attacks. The powers are the ones that actually enforce what the principalities strategize. Does that make sense? So let me show you this in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, world rulers, and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And then 2 Corinthians 10.3 um, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war after the flesh. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, making it obedient to Christ. So you see that the Bible has laid this out. There's world-ruling spirits that blanket the whole world with their influence, okay? And then there's principalities that, that will blanket different areas with their um, presence, if you will. And then there's power spirits, and they're the ones that, that go from the second heaven down here and back, and they enforce what Satan wants to do. Let me show you a few things. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen nineteen, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Now, this is the way the Greek actually reads. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So what you got to understand is, is that what we want to happen on the earth realm must have already been taken authority over and dealt with in the second heaven. Does that make sense? What you bind on earth must have already been bound there. What you loose must have already been loosed there. In Mark three twenty seven, but no man, no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. So there's a principle that you've got to deal with the strong man first. See, what people do is there's a strong man sometimes, but they're wanting to deal with these little things, and these little things are so stubborn they don't move. 
But if you'll deal with the strong man first, then these little things will move. And God shows us that we have authority over the enemy. And I'm going to explain this in a moment. Ephesians 2, 6. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So where is Jesus seated? At the right hand of the Father. So if we're seated with Jesus in heavenly realms, where are we seated? At the right hand of the Father. Far above. And here's Ephesians 1.20. Which he wrought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Every name that can be named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And has put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, positionally... Jesus has so defeated the devil, so thoroughly defeated him at Calvary, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and everything is under his authority. But the Bible doesn't finish there. The Bible says that we, in Christ, have been seated with him. So your authority extends way above the second heaven. Amen? Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all, everybody say all, all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Everybody say nothing. All right. So if I'm reading this right, and I believe I am, we have authority over all the power of the enemy. In Colossians 2.15, when he had spoiled or disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So Jesus has defeated all Satan's kingdom. So what I'm getting at is this, and please hear me, because when I preach along this, I want to make this really clear. Within your sphere of authority, within your sphere of authority, you have authority over anything the devil would try to send against you. It doesn't matter what it is. Your sphere of authority is obviously your body, soul, and spirit, your health, but it's your finances, it's your family, it's your bloodline. It's your home, okay? If you're a pastor, it goes beyond that, but I'm just right now making a point. Within your sphere of authority, you're not going to let Satan have your kids. You're not going to let Satan have your grandkids. You're not going to let Satan keep messing with your health and your finances. He's not going to destroy your marriage. You understand? This is the sphere of authority that I'm within. And in, within that sphere of authority, there is nothing. I mean nothing in Satan's kingdom, including Satan himself, if he tried to show up, that has a right to that authority. You, you have authority over him. Whatever principality, whatever power, whatever would try to steal your kids, whatever would try to destroy your health and your finances, they have no right. You have authority over it. I don't care how high up that goes. Because you're seated with Christ in heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. And so once you've dealt with the third heaven, God's courtroom, and things are right before God, and you've laid it out, man, you're like, Father, I feel like all this stuff has happened. The devil stole this stuff. The devil did this. I'm asking you for vindication and justice. And you really take it before him. He's going to rule in your favor. And things are going to begin to happen. But now we've got to deal with the strong man, and we've got to begin to take authority 
over anything in the second heaven that has been oppressing our lives. Now, please hear me. Don't go outside of your sphere of authority. Don't start trying to bind princes over cities. Are y'all hearing me? Don't start trying to do that because the backlash will be unbelievable. You're going to be coming, Pastor Scott. Please pray for me. Okay, don't do it. But stay within your sphere of authority and you will defeat the enemy. But here's what you need to do. If there's, if there's princes and powers and strongholds or whatever in the second heaven you feel has been attacking you and your family, what's under your authority, you have all the authority in Christ. In Jesus' name, I bind these strong men, these princes and powers, these things that have been coming against my family, been coming against our health, our finances. We bind it right now in Jesus' name. We break your power. According to God's word, whatever I bind on the earth is bound in heaven. I bind you and I command that you're going to repair the damage. You're going to restore what you've stolen from us. And you're going to clear out and stop oppressing my family. You're not going to have my kids. You're not going to keep influencing my finances. I bind you. Now back off and clear out in Jesus' name. And rise up in your authority. And you will see that thing begin to push back. These spirits, all they do is they act like a bully. And when you stand up to it, they back off. So once you've dealt with it in the third heaven, start dealing with it in the second heaven. Break the power of that thing. And that's where things are right now, I believe, with River of Life. Is that there's some things in the second heaven that has been really coming against. Really trying to oppress and come against revival. Period in our nation, in the DFW metroplex and surrounding areas. Satan has been trying to set things up to oppose the move of God. But how many knows that there's some of us that are going over his head in the courtroom, and there's some of us pastors that aren't going to put up with it and are pushing back those things in prayer, and God's still going to come, revival's still going to happen, and things are still going to break open and a harvest come in. That's just the way it is because Satan cannot stop it. All right, so David at Ziklag, this is in 1 Samuel 30, where David's men, man, they had come in, the Amalekites came in and stole everything. You guys know the story. I mean, they, they took everything. They took their wives and kids, all their money. And basically, the men had been out to war, and when they came back, all that they had was the clothes on their back. And they, many of them were really weeping and broken. They saw their children were gone. And they were even talking of stoning David. And it was, a, it was a serious time. But David did not give up. David went after God. He got alone. He put on ephod. He began to pray. And God told him, I'm going to cause you to recover all. There's some of you that need to really lay hold of that right there. Recover all. Let faith get in you to not just recover a little bit, but recover all. And here's how we can do that. Vicarious repentance and persistent prayer. James 5.16, the earnest, heartfelt, persistent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. First off, vicarious repentance. That we are getting under the weight of the sin of not only our lives, but the sin of others. Like, for example, Daniel in Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 9, um, Israel was in Babylonian captivity. 
And Daniel began to pray on behalf of the nation of Israel before God, even though Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel went before God and said, Father, I ask you to forgive us as a nation for our sin. He got under the weight of that sin that was in Israel, and he began to pray that God forgive the nation for the sin. And let me tell you how powerful that vicarious repentance was. After that prayer, God began to move on the heart of King Cyrus. And we know the story. Ezra went back. Nehemiah went back. It broke the power of that thing, and God said things. That's what I'm saying. When you go before the courtroom, you're going above any princes and powers. You're going over Satan's head, just like Daniel did. He went to, straight to God, and he said, Look, the, you said in the prophet Jeremiah, we'd be here 70 years. 70 years is up, and I'm asking you to forgive us. He began to pray and vicariously repent before God. And God rendered judgment on behalf of Daniel, and it turned a nation around, just like Esther. When Esther went before the king, the scepter was extended, and it turned everything around. When you go before the king and you find favor with him, it can turn everything around. So that's the first thing if you want to see a major turnaround is vicarious repentance and go before God and be persistent. Like that persistent widow, Jesus said, look, when you pray, pray and don't give up. If an earthly judge... That's a wicked man that couldn't, he couldn't care less about God or people, but just because of his persistence. He said, you know what, I'm tired of this lady wearing me out. Just give her whatever she wants, get her out of here. He said, man, if an earthly judge being that wicked will still do it, how much more so will your Father in heaven do it? And quickly. And Jesus said, no matter what you've lost for the sake of the kingdom, if Satan has come in to steal, kill, and destroy, if you've lost houses, spouses, children, whatever finances, whatever's happened... Jesus said you'll be given it back in this life many times over. Somebody needs to lay hold of this. When a thief is caught, he's got to repay sevenfold. And whenever Satan has locked up those treasures of darkness, it's got to be unlocked. And God will go in there and break that thing open. But you know what it takes? It takes people that will believe God. So the first thing is vicarious repentance and that persistent prayer i'm not going to give up i'm going to be a righteous person in prayer but i'm going to have earnest heartfelt persistent prayer before god i'm going to press in number two use your authority you know how many christians out there don't know what that means and just sit around and let the devil do all kinds of stuff they haven't been taught use your authority rise up in the name of jesus point your finger at the enemy i bind you get out of here I'm going to tell you what, there was a, a man in England that many, some people here may know who Nathan Morse is. Others may not, I don't know. But anyway, he, was used, uh, he is being used powerfully by the Lord. But at one time, he was, uh, he was living in sin. He was away from God. And his father was a pastor of a church. And his father there in England was grieved because his son was living in sin away from God. And I heard his father preaching. And his father was saying, you know what though? He said, I never, ever gave up. He said, every day I go before God and I would, I would speak like this in prayer. He said, I would point my finger at the enemy and I'd say, in Jesus' name, I bind you, Satan. You're not going to have my son. You will relinquish him and he will become what he's supposed to be. I bind you. You let him go. You're not having my son. And he said, I did that every day. And then one day my son came to the Lord and now he's, he's being used very powerfully for God. 
Use your authority. That dad said, I'm not going to give up. I'm not letting Satan steal my son. I bind you, Satan. Get, get your hands off him. You release him into his destiny in God. So we need to rise up and begin to use our authority and push Satan off our finances. You know what some people's greatest problem is? If you listen to them talk, all they do is gripe and complain and be negative. They speak fear. They speak negativity. And they're cursing themselves. And they're cursing the situation. And I don't understand why it won't happen. It's because you're being negative. If you'll begin to speak the word of God over the thing and begin to talk faith, you'll see the thing turn around. You know it's good whenever everybody's quiet. (laughs) So seriously, stop speaking negative about things. That's a poverty mentality. It's a grasshopper mentality. It's a defeated mentality. All right, so now we've gone before God. We've got his favor in the third heaven, the courtroom of heaven. The scepter has been extended to us. Our list, our petition before him, we've taken it before him. I can just picture in my mind's eye, you know, some people go on, it's like their Christmas list, man. They got it all rolled out. They're laying before God. All right, God, here's the thing. There's been a whole lot of stuff happened. Let's go through it and just begin to lay it out before God. But you know what? That's exactly what you need to do. And you need to believe God to recover all. So anyway, you start there. You get his favor. Then you need to start rising up in your authority and pushing back the strong men that are trying to steal your destiny in God. Then after you deal with that second heaven realm, stay within your sphere of authority, but you push that back. Now you can deal with ground level spiritual warfare. Mark 16, verse 17, these signs will accompany those that believe in my name. They will drive out demons and speak in new tongues. So we've got to drive back the tides of darkness. Now, some of you guys, you know that if you're going to be used of God powerfully, that it's going to attract spiritual warfare. And some of that warfare has to do with Satan's servants and witches and people like that. And so y'all know, you know, that stuff starts trying to come at you in the spirit realm. But you take authority over that stuff. Let me tell you, don't put up with it. They do not have authority over us. We have authority over all that demonic garbage. So here's how I pray about that. In Jesus' name, any of Satan's servants releasing any type of curses, any type of spells, or any of that witchcraft, that dark arts garbage, I break it in the name of Jesus off me and my family. I bind it. It goes straight into hell where it belongs. I bind up your powers and demons. It stops right now. And any spirits that's been sent, I bind you. Get out of here in Jesus' name. And you just, there it goes. Don't put up with it. As we begin to rise up in our authority, it will push back the tides of darkness. Welcome to true, um, real spiritual warfare. Amen? Some people out there just have their head in the sand. They don't even know why things are going on. We need to rise up and press through this stuff and expose it. That's one of the reasons why I like my wife's testimony. It's like, a wet rag just slapping some of these people in the face, you know. Especially some of these preachers, bless their heart, they're 80 years old. I've never heard anything like this. Like, come on, man, really? Because, I mean, that stuff goes on all the time. So anyway, we put on the full armor of God, the Bible says. We need to have a strong prayer life in God. And here's the part that I wanted to get to. The angelic. God's enforcers. All right, 
So I'm going to talk just briefly about angels because once you deal with things in the third heaven, then you take authority and break it open in the second heaven. Now you're dealing with ground-level spiritual warfare, the demonic realm that's been coming against you personally, against your family, these little imps and trolls and spirits and things, and you push that back. You drive back the tides of darkness. You've got to understand that God sends his angels, and we need to cooperate with his angels. So let me tell you how to do that and how not to do that. Here's what you don't do. Gripe, complain, be negative, whine, have pity parties. I can just see in my mind's eye the angels just sitting there like this, just looking at you like, that's not accomplishing anything. And then whenever somebody gets a belly full of that, they rise up the next day and they start speaking faith and speaking the word of God over things. And the angels are like, now, here we go. And off we go to do stuff. So here's how the angelic works. In Psalm 103, verse 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening, listening, that means listen, hearkening to the voice or the word of the Lord. The angels hearken to the word of the Lord. Don't ever forget that scripture. I really want to take a moment to let that hit home. They hearken to the word of the Lord. When you're speaking the word of the Lord, angels are released. That can even be a true prophetic word from God. If it's true, then that is the word of God. That's what God is speaking. Even a true prophetic sermon that a preacher will preach, they've heard from God, it's like a prophetic sermon for a church. As that's preached, it will release the angelic because they hearken to the word of the Lord. So let me break down briefly about angels. We see in scripture there's cherubim and Lucifer was one of them, an anointed cherub that covered. The cherubim and the living creatures are probably the same, uh, could be different. But anyway, these cherubim are some odd looking creatures if you read in the Bible, like they have different faces and things. But anyway, I'll let you read that. But as they, it says though, in Ezekiel he saw like a wheel within a wheel and he saw like God's movable throne. And the cherubim, they're just telling you what different scholars and people speculate what it looks like. This is probably the way that it was. The cherubim are the ones that are right around the throne of God. You even see that with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to represent God's throne. And you see cherubim right there, okay, making up the throne. And so people speculate and believe that maybe the cherubim actually... As they worship God, they may be interlocked somehow and create with their own body maybe a throne that God sits upon. But here's the thing. There's, there's, in Scripture, if the four living creatures and the cherubim are the same, there's maybe four of them, so to speak, making this throne. But there was a time that Lucifer was called the anointed cherub that covered. And maybe, <clears throat> if we understand this right, you could see these other four cherubim kind of interlock and they create a throne and God would sit upon his throne, and Lucifer might have been like the back of that. Like, you know how a throne will have like a high back chair? Lucifer might have been the back of that and would extend up the anointed cherub that covered. It would extend up above God, and he would lead worship to God in heaven, lead worship to him. But Lucifer 
That may have been the way that it looked at one time, but Lucifer got lifted up with pride and he began to want the worship for himself. And so we know the story, um, Isaiah 14, the I wills. Satan said, I will exalt my throne above God. I will exalt my throne above the other stars and I'll be like the most high. And so Lucifer rebelled. He took a third of the angels with him. They were cast to the earth. So when it says a third of the angels, it doesn't say necessarily which type. So we don't know. I mean, there could have been more cherubim or different ones that fell with him. We don't really know. But there was a third that fell. So that's the class of the cherubim. They're right there at the throne of God. They may, they may even make up the throne of God. But then you've got the seraphim. The seraphim in Isaiah 6, they circle the throne of God night and day, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And the seraphim, it says, are like flaming ones, but they have six wings, two little wings that cover their face, and they have two little wings, one on each foot that covers each foot, and then with two wings, they fly, and they're going around covering their face, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so it seems like the cherubim and the seraphim are the ones that are right there at God's throne, and they're kind of guardians of his presence, if you will. Then you've got Michael, the archangel. In Daniel chapter 13, Michael was called, um, uh, in regards to Daniel, it said, the prince of your people. So many people believe Michael has a lot to do with the nation of Israel, and I believe he does. That's probably where Michael spends a lot of his time. It's one of the reasons why all these terrorists and people cannot annihilate Israel like they want to, because they'd have to go through Michael to get it done. It ain't going to happen. So anyway, Michael hangs out a lot in Israel, but I'm sure he does other errands for God, amen? But he kind of is a warrior class. And so probably you have, beneath Michael's authority, you have angels that operate in spiritual warfare. Then you've got Gabriel. We see him all through the scriptures as well. And when we read about Gabriel, he seems to be bringing the word of the Lord. So people believe that um, Gabriel has a lot to do with Revelation. I personally believe that Gabriel has to do with Revelation, but also has a lot to do with the presence of the Lord. That he helps to break open um, things to, to bring God's presence in a really powerful way. And then you have these two angels. They're not necessarily listed in the scriptures, but they are in other writings, and they're probably angels of the Lord, but just so you know about them. One of them is Raphael. Rapha means healer in Hebrew. So this is healer of God. And I do believe that there are angels that help with healing. They minister healing to God's people. And then Uriel um, as well. I believe this is uh, probably an angel of the Lord as well. But Uri means flame of God, Uriel. And I believe these have to do also with God's presence. But lighting up your path. The Bible says the path of the righteous goes brighter and brighter till the dawn of the day. And so I believe that the, that the Lord sends his angels in front of us to light our paths, okay? Well, these two are not in Scripture, so take that with a grain of salt, but I personally believe that they probably um, do serve the Lord and are legitimate angels. Okay, so that's kind of a breakdown of angels. But how many knows that there's more for us than against us? Is even if Satan took a third, there's still two-thirds, and that's taking into account that God may have created more angels since then. So there's more for us than against us, all right? And you see in the scriptures in 2 Kings six seventeen that the prophet Elisha, the armies of the enemy had come, and Gehazi was scared. 
I can see him in there, you know, trying to cook his little flapjacks or whatever. One morning he looks out the window and there's the enemy closing in and Gehazi scared. And he looks over at Elisha and Elisha says, don't worry about it. And Gehazi is like, how can we not worry about this right now, Elisha? Because there's two of us. We don't even have swords and there's a whole army closing in on us. And Elisha says, because there's more force than against us. And Gehazi couldn't understand that until Elisha put his hands on him and prayed for him. And his eyes were opened. And he saw all around their property were these flaming chariots of angels. And those flaming chariots caused the enemy to just kind of become blind and and, um, disoriented. And they didn't really know what was going on. And Elisha just walks out there and gets their commander and grabs the horse's reins and begins to walk. And he walks into the city, and the whole enemy is just kind of disoriented, and they just follow Elisha right into the city where they could have been massacred. But um, the people of Israel had mercy on him. But anyway, my point is, there's more force than against us. And even when you don't see what's going on in the spirit realm, God has got angels that are going to war. So I'm going to tell you a few angel stories. But let me say this. The angels of God... The Bible says they're around us, and I'm going to give you some scriptures, but they ride in those circuits of the heavens, those angels and those horses and those chariots. God's angels also ride in that second heaven. And God can send his angels to help break open that warfare in the second heaven. And I believe just like Jacob saw those angels ascending and descending on that ladder, that the angels of God will ascend and descend through an open heaven, but they'll keep that thing purged. They'll keep it open. And the enemy won't be able to close that up. They'll keep going up and down and keep that thing purged. All right, so here's some angel stories. All right, I'm going to read it just like it is. When I was a student, this is some guy writing this book, okay? When I was a student at Columbia International University, My next-door roommate was Terry Hammock, who, along with his wife, Sue, had faithfully served the Lord in Africa. Terry recently told me of his friend, um, Janet Schneider, who labored more than 40 years in northern Nigeria. She spent many of those years alone in a town called Gashua and was the only missionary within 50 miles. Much of her ministry was conducted against the backdrop of danger. And on one occasion, she was warned by the Nigerian colleagues to leave for a safer environment. Death threats began to come her direction. And Janet was a practitioner of scripture memory. And so at the time, she was committing to memory Psalm 34, verse 7, which says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him, and he will deliver them. So as she meditated on that verse, she thought, thank you, Lord, for your promise. Your protection is good enough for me, so I'm going to bed rather than, uh, rather than leave my station. <coughs> she wasn't going to leave the house. She was just going to go to sleep. So that night, after she believed God's word and she spoke God's word out, that night she went to sleep. Four men came to the town to kill Janet. As they neared the secluded compound, they could see that there was a tall man dressed in white with a sword in his hand guarding her front door. And they were surprised and afraid because they didn't know that she hired a bodyguard. So they withdrew, and the next day they spied out the compound and questioned local informants. And no one knew that Janet had hired that bodyguard. They didn't know what they were talking about. So that night the ruffians returned on the same mission. They were going to kill the missionary. 
But as they stopped, they stopped dead in their tracks by this imposing guard. The next day, they casually dropped by to see Janet, and they were pretending to be her friend, and in passing, they asked her about her guard. <laughs> she said, I don't have a guard. I didn't hire a bodyguard. And they said, but we saw this huge man last night. And he was there the night before. He had this big sword in his hand. And she just kind of laughed and said, well, he must be an angel because the Lord God promised to send his angel to be around me because I fear him. And the man glanced at each other and hastily left and no one ever approached her house again. Some of you know some of these other stories, um, but I need to just briefly say, you know, John Kilpatrick tells that story, those two angels, but he said his pastor was going through horrible spiritual warfare. There was people in the church that wanted him to leave. It, w- it was a, a rebellion in the church. It was basically a church split. And there was a group of people that had really come against the pastor. And it really broke his heart. He was a very young man at the time. And to see church people act like that, it really broke his heart. And he said that it was so oppressed. He said the atmosphere was so heavy and oppressed at that church that they had prayer meetings every night. But he said it, was, it felt very hard to pray. And this one particular night, they were there, and he said he couldn't pray. The pastor had already told him that he was probably going to leave. He said his heart was broke because he was like his dad. He said the church was going through turmoil, and his heart was broke from that. The atmosphere was so oppressed. He said he just sat there. He couldn't pray. The other men went there praying, and all of a sudden, he said the doors, and he said those doors, and I remember this story. He said they were very tall, and they might have been as tall as the ceiling here. I don't know, but they were very tall. He said they were huge, and they locked at the top and the middle and the bottom he said it was a big ordeal to open these doors so they usually didn't even open them unless they had service but he said that night as they sat there he said he heard a power hit those doors and he said those doors they were locked all six ways they flung open and they just tapped the walls and in comes two angels he said those angels were huge and they came in one at a time and turned and went to each corner of the building and they just stood there like military guards. And here he was, a little boy. He was scared half to death. Can you imagine? He's just in there looking at this. And the other men were there, and everybody saw it. And these angels, just like they heard a cue from heaven, the same way they came in, they went right back out. And the pastor got up to go shut those doors because they weren't in the best neighborhood. And this was back in the 60s when there was a lot of the, the racial tensions and things going on. So the pastor got up to go shut the door. And he said that everybody just kind of got behind the pastor, you know. Nobody, <laughs> man, we're going to be by pastor, bless God. This place got angels in it. And so they went, they went back there to lock the door. And as he began to shut the door, he said the power of God with those angels were was so strong, all of them just fell out under the power. And he said they were there all night till the sun came up the next day. He said he woke up and his, le- his head was on some guy's leg. And they had been there the whole night. And that, those doors were still open. They saw the sun come up. But he said something in the spirit realm broke when those angels came and he said that next sunday morning pastor said god spoke to him to stay and so he said he was staying and he said that next sunday morning all those troublemakers in that church were just gone now this was to me the most miraculous part of the story he said those troublemakers all of them were just gone they didn't know where they went they didn't know why nobody said anything they never heard anything they never got a phone call from them i mean they they were just gone and he said they never heard from them again and that Sunday morning, it was like the heavens opened back up over that church. And he said, Pastor got up and was preaching. 
And he said he just simply went to take the offering, but the power of God was so strong in that place that, that it just hit like that. And he said about 40 people, if I remember right, hit the ground, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Some of them have been seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for years. And those angels, it just broke open something over that church where Satan had been attacking that church. And so we're dealing in the realm of spiritual warfare. A good friend of mine, um, some of you guys remember Pastor Benny. He told me this story. He had a minister friend who got really sick. (laughs) And he said that his minister friend had gotten so sick that he would still speak. He would get up and preach. But he had to keep like a cloth in his pocket. And he'd be coughing. And there would actually be some blood on the cloth, you know. And he was just standing in faith about his healing. And he was a man of great faith and great, you know, a mighty man of God anyway. But he would get up and still preach under that anointing and be used of God. You need to be tough to be in the ministry. Amen? All right. And so anyway, as he's preaching, he said one night, this guy was preaching. And he said nobody could see it except for the preacher. But this angel come in the back. And he said the people were there, and this angel starts walking down the aisle, and as he would walk past people, the people that were there would fall out under the power of God. And they didn't even see the angel. The preacher did, but they did. And they were just sitting there, and all of a sudden they're out, and and it was just like the angel was walking down the aisle, and there they go. They're just falling over like dominoes. He's going up. And the angel's just walking down the aisle, just on a mission, and all these people are just falling to the right and left, and he just walks right up to the preacher and just does like this and touches him in the chest. That preacher said he flew back in the air about 10 feet, landed on his back, got up completely, totally healed. I mean, totally healed. Whatever that was, was gone. And he went home that night, and he was getting undressed. And as he took his shirt off, and he's looking in the mirror, he said there was still like a red handprint on his chest. And he said it was a big handprint, too. But that angel prayed for him. The angels of the Lord also will help with provision in ministry. There's an old couple I heard talking about this time. They were an elderly couple, and they had driven out into a secluded area. And they were out pretty much in the middle of nowhere, and it was a torrential storm. I mean, it was raining really hard, and they had gotten a flat, and they didn't know what to do because he was so elderly, he did not have the strength to get out and jack up the car and change the tire. He just didn't. This was before the days of cell phones, and they couldn't drive, obviously, anywhere. It was such a horrible storm. They were just sitting there. They were just going to wait it out. All of a sudden, somebody's knocking on their window. And so he rolls down the window, and the guy says, "Um, I see you have a flap. I want to help change your tire, okay? He said, pop the trunk. He said, well, okay. So he rolls up his window. The guy goes back there. He hears him. He feels the car go up. The tire gets changed. Everything's done. The guy comes back, taps on the window, and says, all right, I'm done. You guys are good to go. And the, guy, the old man looks at his wife, and he looks back because he wanted to thank him, and he said the guy was just gone. And they started looking around everywhere trying to see where he came from. Was there a car? Was there anything? There was nothing. They said they really felt like the Lord sent an angel. Let me tell you another one along those lines real quick. Um, it, is, it is possible for angels to carry out similar missions today. Listen to this. Kenneth Ware was born in native Tennessee, but after his father's death in World War I, his widowed mother returned to her homeland of Switzerland, and that's where Kenneth grew up. After coming to Christ, he felt called to the ministry. He eventually married and sought to minister amid the chaos of World War II. 
One Saturday morning, um, September 1944, Kenneth and his wife Susie awoke with nothing to eat, no money for groceries. Susie decided to tell the Lord what she needed. Jesus, I need, and she made a list. I need five pounds of potatoes. I need two pounds of this pastry file. I need apples and pears and cauliflower carrots and veal cutlets. And she made a list. And then she thanked the Lord for it. So at 11.30 that morning, Susie responded to a knock on the door to find a delivery man. He seemed to be in his 30s, tall and radiant countenance, light, uh, light hair, blue eyes, wearing a long blue apron um, over his work clothes. Miss Ware, he said, I'm bringing you what you asked for. You know, she didn't call anybody. And going into the kitchen, he emptied a basket onto the table, and Susie realized the man had brought the items that she prayed for, no, no more, no less, exactly down to the brand of pastry flour that she wanted. After the man left, the wearer stood by the window to watch him leave the building through the only exit, but they never saw him again. They didn't even see him leave. He just seemed to vanish. I'm sharing all these for a reason. This is stirring up faith in people, okay? And so the last couple things here. Um, there was one more story I'll tell. There was a, a lady that was into witchcraft, really hardcore, and um, her and her little group of Satanists, they would astral project to go do things. Anyway, one night they got an assignment. They were supposed to kill this pastor. He had gotten on the devil's nerves. Awesome man of God, right? And um, he made the devil mad. So they were supposed to go kill the pastor. So they all got in their little circle, and they're all going to astral project out to go hurt the minister. They get to his property, though. Here's the problem. All around his entire property were angels in white, and they were standing shoulder to shoulder, and they went all the way around his entire property. And so they go there. They couldn't get through. And the lady that she later became a Christian and she said this story made a huge impact on her because she had been told the devil was more powerful than God and all that. And all of a sudden these angels are laughing at him. And she said that these other people were getting really angry because they were trying to get through and the angels were literally laughing at him. And they would just fall back. And one of the angels leaned toward her and said something to the effect, why don't you repent of this and give your life to Jesus? And it stayed with her. But anyway, so you see that the angels of the Lord were around this pastor. You know what? Even though these Satanist people wanted to kill him that night, they, the people couldn't even get on his property. I doubt that he even knew any of that was going on. He was just sitting around, you know, eating dinner with his family. So here's the promises of God in Scripture. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. He, he delivers them. Isaiah 63, verse 9, the angel of his presence saved them in his love and mercy he redeemed them and he lifted up lifted them up and carried them as in days of old but the angel of his presence saved them the word saved there in hebrew is yasha and i want you to remember this because we know the greek word sozo which means save heal deliver protect preserve prosper do well remember the sozo life the fullness of everything that was paid for at calvary that's the greek word sozo but this is the same word but in hebrew yasha and Yasha simply means save, but it means more than that, to save, heal, deliver, preserve, protect, prosper, make to do well. It's out of this word, Yasha, that we get the name. Hold on. I'm getting frustrated with this tonight. Where we get the name Yeshua from. And Yeshua is Jesus' name, amen? And his name means salvation. So the word save is the word Yasha, and that is, all of that was paid for at Calvary. Everything paid for. 
Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands so you do not strike your foot against a stone. He will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and serpent trample down. So this is the angel of the Lord that will accompany you and bear you up in their hands. At least you dash your foot against a stone. Exodus 23, 27. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. You know what God's terror ahead of you is? His angels. That's exactly what it is. And those that keep Passover, and I believe that's not only a reference of Passover, but even of the communion table year-round. It says in Exodus 23, 20, there are seven promises for those that keep Passover. The first one is, see, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you into the place I prepared for you. That's why I've been trying to say the angels will go in front of you and prepare your way. And they will be a terror to your enemies and throw them into confusion. In Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So they're sent to be ministering angels to minister to God's people. Jesus, after he was tempted by the devil and he had to deal with that, he had fasted 40 days. He faced Satan in the wilderness. After all of that, the Bible says that angels came and ministered to Jesus. If Jesus needed angelic ministry, how much more so do we need it? And when Elijah was going through difficulty and he was under that juniper tree and he was facing that Jezebel spirit, God sent him an angel that would give him food and help strengthen and minister to him. The ministry of angels. I believe personally the ministry of angels has to do where people, um, they pray over God's people to, for them to be sanctified and healed and delivered and refreshed and strengthened for the battle. All right. And so here's the last thing. God is a God of breakthrough. Go before his courtroom and deal with things in the third heaven first. Then deal with anything set up against you in the second heaven. Just stay within the sphere of your authority. And then number three, you rise up and you take authority and deal with the stuff that's coming against you on ground level spiritual warfare. And here's the promise. The angels of the Lord hearken to the word of the Lord. So let me say one more, a couple things right here. David at Baal Perzim, David was about to go to war and the Lord told him, as soon as you hear the sound of the marching in the top of the poplar trees, then you move quickly because that means the Lord has gone in front of you to strike the Philistines. You know what that was? That was the angels going in front of David. And just like the scepter extended to Esther, as we go before God's throne and we receive favor. See, here's the thing. A couple years back, I gave out this sheet and I told people back then that they really needed to start meditating on the scriptures and speaking the word of God. I know my wife and daughter have done that. And over time, what that's done is that's developed a faith in them and in me as well. And that you can't muster up faith. See, people wait until they go through a crisis. Then they want faith. It's a little late. Faith is developed now, okay? So I've, I told everybody to do this. Hopefully people did. But as they meditate and speak those scriptures, it goes from just being in the head and it gets down into the heart. And it's out of your heart of faith that you speak the word of God. You speak faith. It's with the heart that man believes and with the mouth that is spoken, okay? And when you have heart faith and you speak faith out of your mouth, that's when things change. And the angels listen to the word of the Lord. They hearken to the word that's being spoken. 
And they even, things like speaking blessings, authority figures speaking blessings, that will also release angels. But I'm, I'm going to close by giving you a faith confession, okay, in just a second. But see, God is about to release major breakthroughs in River of Life. He's told me this, okay, this is happening. It is going to happen. There's going to be great restoration and even jubilee. Major breakthroughs are about to happen. But I'm trying to give you the keys so that you can get these breakthroughs. It's going to start in God's courtroom. And then it's going to be when people start using their authority over the strong man and the stronghold set up against them in the second heaven. And when they also begin to use their authority. Here we go again. Second. Use their authority against the spiritual forces against them on a personal level. And they begin to rise up and use their authority. But here's what's the problem. Some people have not really grown in faith yet, and you need to start doing that, number one. But number two, you need to start speaking faith. I gave you a faith confession. This right here, if you want things to start changing and you want angels to start being activated in your life, here's what you do. I'm just telling you. They hearken to the word of the Lord. So here's an example. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But because I'm a tither, nothing will cause me financial stress or loss. The devourer is rebuked from me, from every area of my life and all that I own. There's an open heaven over my life and more blessings are poured out than there's room enough to contain. And nations will rise to call me blessed. As you speak that out over your life, first off, the fact that you're speaking it is powerful. It's affecting you. It's affecting your family. But it also releases the angels that hearken to the word of the Lord to make it happen. So I've given you some faith confessions to speak over your family every day. But I encourage people, many of you have this from a few years ago, go back to this. Meditate on God's word, speak his word. I gave out these scriptures about healing and deliverance and other things. Speak those as you take communion, as you spend time with the Lord in prayer. Now I want you to look at these last couple pictures I have here. You see that picture with that angel standing over the little boy there? I really believe that, obviously that's an artist drew that, but I really believe that's similar to what it looks like. See, in the spirit realm, the Bible says that the angels encamp around about us, so that means that if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, there's angels all in this room and all around this building. That's just the way that it is. And when you sleep at night, if you're really a real man and a real woman of God, and you're the real deal, and you're under the blood, um, and you fear the Lord, the angels are around your property and around your bed. This is what I believe that it looks like. Okay. Now, underneath that, if you see this picture here, it's not the best picture, but... All right, this was actually Steve Hill's funeral. And on the far left, you see Lyndall Cooley at the keyboard there. And that's where he was during the revival. And then you see down in the front, you see Steve's casket there, and you see a picture of him. And, and back there behind the podium is Steve's wife, Jerry, and she's just talking about his life at the time. And just different people were taking pictures. But as they were taking pictures, they accidentally caught an angel on film. And that's what you see there with that film, uh, that mist is an angel of the Lord standing there right behind Steve's casket. And if you really look at it for a minute, the feet of that angel are not next to Jerry's feet. It goes down closer to where that casket is. 
That's a big old boy. I personally believe that that was probably one of the angels that worked with Steve in that great revival. And it was right there where that angel standing right there was right at that altar area where all those, man, hundreds of thousands of people ran down to get saved. But anyway, the angels of the Lord. So listen, as you guys do this, we need to close this out. But as you do this, as you go before the courtroom, how many of you guys are going to do this now? All right. But let me encourage you to make sure that things are right. Don't go there if you've got sin in your life and all that. It'll backfire. Okay? Make sure everything's right. But if you deal with things and you get all the sin out, you get things dealt with. When you go before the courtroom, that's going to release something in your favor in the third heaven. Then you need to deal with the stuff in the second heaven coming against you. And you need to deal with ground-level warfare. But as you deal with that stuff and you push back the tides of darkness, you need to start speaking these faith confessions over your life. And that right there is going to bring the breakthroughs because the angels hearken to the word of the Lord. You know how many angels probably sit around Christians with their arms folded just wishing that they would say something that can, they could use. But some Christians out there, they never pray. They never rise up in their authority. They don't speak faith. They don't speak the word. They don't do anything that's going to release and empower the angelic. They just sit around not doing anything for God or even maybe complaining. If you've been grumbling and complaining, those words are not helping your angel. Those words are helping the demonic. If you're grumbling and complaining and being negative and whining, having pity parties and speaking negativity, all you're doing is empowering the demonic in the situation. So let's stop doing that and break that and let's begin to speak God's word into the situation and watch the angels go to work. Amen? All right, so God is a God of breakthrough here on Purim. Father, I pray as we've gone through this, I really believe that if people will not just be hearers of the word tonight, but doers, like the Bible says, I really believe that their life will begin to change. And I'm asking you, Lord, as they go before your courtroom about things, and they, they first examine themselves to make sure things are right. But I ask you, Lord, to render judgment on their behalf, on behalf of the righteous, against the accuser, against their adversary that has tried to come to steal, kill, and destroy. Secondly, Lord, I ask you to give them victory in the second heaven, over the forces of darkness that's tried to come against them. Princes and powers and things that have tried to set up against them to hinder them from their destiny in God. And maybe in the past they were in sin. Maybe they weren't right. And some things have, have been set in motion. But I'm asking you, Lord, that that will be dismantled and that the skies will part open and that things will break loose in the second heaven. Thirdly, I ask you to give them victory over ground-level warfare. Things that's maybe been coming against them and their family their health, their finances, whatever. Lord, I ask you to give them victory in that first heaven. <clears throat> and finally, Lord, I pray that as they use their authority and they begin to speak faith, Lord, that your angels will be released on their behalf to begin to carry out the word of God. The angels hearken to the word that they will be released to enforce the victories. Enforce what has been set in motion in the third heaven, what's been taken authority over in the second heaven, and what's been around them that they're dealing with. Lord, that your angels be released, begin to tear down the strongholds, and bring a great breakthrough. 
that there's no longer going to be pity parties and whining and complaining and negativity and all that garbage. Now there's going to be a people rising up in faith that are going to be speaking God's word and believing God and expecting change, expecting breakthroughs. We don't want to be of the group of unbelief that ended back up roaming in the wilderness. We want to be a people of faith that take the head, the head off a giant and that take promised lands and see walls of Jericho come down. Those type of people are the people of faith, and that's who we want to be. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to pray for people who want prayer pretty quickly tonight. So let's go ahead if you would.